A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. On the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what concern is that to you and to me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now standing there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to them, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. He said to them, now draw some out and take it to the chief steward. So they took it. When the steward tasted the water that had become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the steward called the bridegroom and said, everyone serves the good wine first and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. But you, you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee, and revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Years ago, I was the director of a house of studies for seminarians. One particular year we planned a very special Christmas. Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. On Christmas Day we celebrated a liturgy at the county hospital in the morning. In the afternoon we were to have our formal Christmas Day dinner. I had the table set with an exact number of place settings and had the menu all set and counted. After the morning liturgy at the county hospital, one of the seminarians asked me if he could invite the guitarist who happened to show up to play at the liturgy to invite him to Christmas dinner. I said, sure, there's always room for one more. Christmas afternoon, back at the House of Studies, we were making final preparations to sit down for our formal dinner. Then, looking out the front window, I saw a car drive up. It was full of people. They started toward our front door. Then another car, full of people, came right behind, followed by a third. We suddenly had a parade of 15 people arriving at the front door. It was 
the guitarist. I got a little off my cool. I went to the seminarian that had invited the guitarist and said, I have no idea what you said to the guitarist, but he is here with his whole clan. You entertain them while I go into the kitchen and multiply the bread. Being in the heat of the kitchen cooled me down. Stuff came flying out of the freezer, and I reminded myself that hospitality was more important than my own overwrought plans. We enjoyed a fun Christmas dinner that ended up more abundant than what we had planned. When I reflect on John's account of Jesus' first sign at the wedding of Cana, I've often wondered, how is it that they ran out of wine? Did too many uninvited guests crash the wedding feast? Was it just too much for the groom to keep the celebration going for the traditional seven days? Did they not hire a capable wedding planner? Was this a poor family doing their best to meet social expectations? As I keep reflecting, I think I've been missing the point. When we read John, we need to be ready for a different perspective. He's brash enough to begin his gospel with those words, in the beginning. Remember those from the very first line of the Bible, so here he is, in the beginning. He takes us out into the cosmos to see Jesus as the author of creation. And then he paints inner landscapes that he dares to offer to all humanity and creation as signs of Jesus bringing the work of creation to fulfillment. John's wedding feast at Cana is a painting. A painting of an inner landscape of death and passivity. There's a deeper breakdown than just running out of the wine. The stone jars meant to hold water for the Jewish purification rituals were empty. The wine was cheap and ran out. The steward knew his wines but he didn't have them provided. The groom, traditionally, was supposed to assure that he had the house and the feast ready before he went to collect his bride from her parents' house and begin the feast. And in John's painting, the bride and groom are anonymous. There's no mention of food. There's no mention of music or dancing. Such a feast! I imagine Morticia greeting me at the front door in a bedraggled wedding gown and bringing me into a cobwebbed hall. God's marriage with the people was dead. But throughout salvation history, God brings rebirth and abundance out of barrenness. 
Remember all the Old Testament stories of birth to the patriarchs and matriarchs out of their barrenness. Creation itself is brought out of barrenness and chaos. Jesus and his mother changed the scene. Jesus has the water, the jars for purification refilled to the brim. He's teaching us to renew and treasure what we have been given and who we are meant to be. The shocking new thing is pulling fine wine out of the jars meant to hold water for purification rituals. Oops, excuse me. It'd be like going to our baptismal font and seeing it flowing with 180 gallons of fine Napa wine. The baptismal font would never be the same again. <laughs> the dead wedding feast is a look into the heart of God's people. The new water calls forth the gifts of old. The new wine shocks us into new life and gives us a taste of Jesus. We are taught to recognize our gifts and be open to the surprising new wine of Jesus. Here is where St. Paul helps us with living our gifts and keeping them in perspective. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of working, but is the same God who inspires them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. We don't hear that in our politics, in our society, very much. Common good. During this past week, I read a very disturbing quote from someone held up as a Christian leader in our country. A poor person never gave anyone a job. A poor person never gave anyone charity, not of any real volume. Jesus never told Caesar how to run Rome. And it is a distortion to imagine that the country as a whole should love its neighbors and help the poor just because Jesus told individuals to do so. I'll tell you later who said it. I'd prefer the wisdom of Martin Luther King. We are prone to judge success by the index of our salaries or the size of our automobiles rather than by the quality of our service and relationship to humankind. In many cases, it is the poor who support the rich by paying the taxes and the fines the rich are able to evade. Our system carefully keeps many people vulnerable and underpaid. It may be that Jesus never spoke to Caesar, but Jesus' teaching was threatening enough to Caesar's imperial system that the Roman authorities 
executed Jesus in their most brutal fashion. John's Gospel shows Jesus as the architect of creation who enters creation to gather people to himself and to teach all humanity and creation. Jesus doesn't just tell individuals to do things. And again, I refer to Martin Luther King. The first question which the priest and the Levite asked was, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? But the Good Samaritan reversed the question. If I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? Cana is an encounter with the end of our resources. Imagine paying for a traditional Jewish wedding that went on and on for seven days. Just imagine for paying for one today. It only goes on in the afternoon. Jesus at Cana shows us that by encountering our poverty and our limits, we can open to God's grace. And again, Martin Luther King. Not everybody can be famous, but everybody can be great because greatness is determined by service. You only need a heart full of grace and a soul generated by love. Cana is an encounter with our unstirred and passionless faith. Cana is an epiphany. Our religion is mostly Greek, so we use these words, epiphany, to show around the epiphany. It's an announcement, a revelation of who Jesus is, a revelation of God among us, of the God of abundance. Our God of abundance keeps calling us out of the death spiral that is the ideology of scarcity. The ideology of scarcity entraps us in fear and hoarding. All is a gift. All that we have is a gift. No gift can stand by itself or be bottled up for private hoarding. The wine at the wedding was in the water jars. It had to be consumed and shared. It couldn't be bottled. Gifts are for the common good. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So Jesus and his mother turned the fiesta fire back on and got the party going again. I'll offer a quote from Albert Schweitzer. In everyone's life, at some time, our inner fire goes out. It is then burst into a flame by an encounter with another human being. We should be thankful for those people who rekindle the inner spirit. I had a great friend by the name of Catherine. 
who rekindled my inner spirit. I was about 20 years old in the seminary. She was in her 80s. She was a wonderful, poor woman who shared her riches out of a sense of abundance and changed my life. I visited her on many Saturdays when I was a student here in San Francisco, when she still had income from her trust. She would take me shopping to buy things for us that our superior wouldn't buy. We'd go to the grocery store and she would just take total delight in filling it up, filling up the cart with, with things that she knew we would enjoy. And I'd say, oh, Catherine, that's enough. Oh, no, put 10 in. And so we'd get the cart overflowing. And one day, a little old lady came by looking at the two of us, kind of wondering about us. And Catherine grabbed my arm and said, we have a large family. <laughs> so one Saturday, when I went to visit her, and those visits were really a type of spiritual direction. We were in her SRO room down by Market Street. She served me cheap gin mixed with lukewarm tap water and a dirty glass. I brought sandwiches to share. Her coffee table was a cardboard box covered in aluminum foil. The early afternoon sun beat through her west-facing window onto our sandwiches on the glowing table. The cockroaches were undeterred by the sun and quickly crinkled their way across the foil to our awaiting feast. After recounting dysfunctions of the building, a few fires and shootings, she offered up a litany of her thanksgiving, especially for having a roof over her head and a window open to the afternoon sun. Wow. I was humbled and encouraged. Having known her for years, I was convinced of the depth of her gratitude for God, to God. She did not live in denial, nor did she ever live in the past. She lived with a conviction of abundance. Somehow, even after her trust fund ran out, I was with her when she gave away the last check from that trust fund. Somehow, even on just her social security, she shared with others. She gave me more than anyone's material wealth could ever give me. Though her preferred drink was cheap gin, she drank from Jesus' washtub of fine wine.